you know, we all know people who don't have the character that matches their callings. I mean, we've had situations with presidents of the United States. We've had one that was an adulterer, and it became known that he had an affair with his receptionist or secretary or whatever. And, and even people struggle with, with Donald Trump because sometimes um, he doesn't seem to be practicing what he preaches. He's calling for certain things, but there's inconsistencies in his own history, in his own life. Think of Mary, the mother of Jesus. She was just going through her daily tasks one day when the angel Gabriel appeared and announced to Mary that she was going to give birth to the Messiah. When she first saw this angel, she was confused and disturbed. And sometimes in our lives, things can happen out of left field. There is a change that was unexpected, a sudden change. You know, we've all waited expectantly for the results of an exam or, or surgery or a job interview. And sometimes something happens that changes the course of our life. But it's important for us as Christians not to let our character disqualify us from what God wants to do in our lives. God knows each of us by name. And he has a specific call on our lives. He has things that he wants us to do. Some of you might be thinking, I've heard God's call on my life and I've responded to that call. And that's, that call is shaping the way I live my life. But others of you might be thinking this morning, no, I'm still waiting. I do believe in God, but I haven't really heard his call for me. Our extended family have a, um, a batch at Pukahina Beach. And after my dad retired, he would spend sort of summer at the beach. And he would make a habit of going for a swim in the sea every day. And one day my older brother was visiting them, the family at the batch. And here's my dad out in the water and, and my brother looks out and he sees dad and he's waving his hand like that. And my brother thinks, oh, he wants me to come down and join him for a swim. And he didn't want to go for a swim, so he just carried on with what he was doing. And then a few minutes later, he looked back and here's dad frantically waving and he realizes that dad's in trouble. So he races down the sand hills and dad had got caught in an undertow that had pulled him out and he couldn't get back to shore. And he was crying for help. Help, you know, come and help me. But Paul thought he was just giving him a wave. Come and go for a swim. And often we can be in a situation where we haven't heard God's call on our lives because we're not giving God our full attention. We may be preoccupied with other concerns, so much so that his voice is being drowned out in our lives. And so it's important to take time out to listen and to be sure that we're quiet enough 
to hear what God is really saying to us. Sometimes his call to us could be something very simple. It could be that he wants us to be the best possible husband, father, neighbour and friend to all those people around us. A man went to C.H. Spurgeon and said he wanted to help Spurgeon in his church. He wanted to serve in the church. And so Spurgeon asked him what his occupation was. And he responded, I'm a train driver. Spurgeon said, is your engineer a Christian? No, he said. Then that's what God wants you to do. God is involved in every detail of our lives. He wants our life to make a difference. And God's call is not just an individual call. It's also a call to us as a faith community here at Topol Baptist Church. We're called to positively impact our world, to impact our community, to reach the lost and to transform the, the found as we live out the life of Jesus and help other people who desire to meet Jesus for themselves. So verse 2 says, Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Well, it's interesting because those four things that are described in that verse are the four key ingredients of unity. Are we growing in character that produces unity? And I just want to briefly unpack those four words. Firstly, humility. This involves putting God first in our lives, others second, and ourselves last. Proud, arrogant people love to be the center of attention. They like to force their ideas on other people and push other people down. They can be a bit like that Pharisee who prayed, I thank you God that I'm not like other people. He felt that he was called. He felt that he was superior. With a genuine call from God, we wonder, why would God call me? What's so special about me that God can use me? I read a story of a theological student who was highly gifted, and he'd got excellent grades at Bible college. And he was invited to speak at the local church on a Sunday morning. And he walked up to the pulpit full of pride and great expectation. But then he became very nervous. And he stumbled over his words. He had memory blanks. He broke down. And he walked out in humiliation. A little old lady followed him out of the church and said to him, Young man, if you'd only walked up to speak in the same way as you came down after you spoke. You'd have walked away as you did when you came in. And sometimes God humbles the proud. That if we think we're too good, then something happens in life that seems to put us in our place. But all the great leaders in the New Testament were humble people. Jesus said of John the Baptist... In John 3.30, he said, Among those that are born of woman, women, there is no greater prophet than John. 
And John replied, he must increase, but I must decrease. So here's the greatest prophet of all time. And someone affirms him. And he says, Jesus must increase. I must decrease. And listen to how Paul, the Apostle Paul, described himself. He described himself three times in three ways. He said, I am the least of the apostles. I'm the least of the saints. I am the chief of sinners. Before Paul became an apostle, he had a very checkered life. He did some terrible things. And he never forgot those things. And he says, look, don't lord me, lord me and praise me. I've done some terrible things in my life. But that's the beauty of our relationship with Jesus Christ. Whatever we've done, God can forgive and redeem and give us a new heart and a new future. As we get to know God better, we realize that our call is linked to his grace and not to our own achievement. If we rest in the Lord and we press into him, he will lead us. He will tell us what to say. We don't have to strive in our own strength. We have to tap into the power of the Holy Spirit. The second point is meekness, the second ingredient of humility. And, weakness, and meekness is not weakness, but power under control. It's like a, a powerful stallion that's been restrained by a bridle and a saddle. Meek people are not worried about their own rights, such as getting revenge if they've been wronged or if they've been overlooked. Some people are very quick to take offence. Their anger wells up and explodes. But Jesus modelled gentleness and respected the feelings and sensitivities of others. But at the same time, he chased the money changers out of the temple. So Jesus was gentle, but at times, when he had to show a bit of authority, he could step up and do what was required. The third ingredient of unity is patience. And patience involves making allowances for other people. When a harsh or unkind word is sent in our direction, we just turn the other cheek. Godly character is shown by how we react when we're hurt, when we're disappointed, when we're offended. What we do is often more important than what we say. We'll be labelled hypocrites if we don't practice what we preach. The world doesn't want to hear the gospel, but it does want to see it. And self-control will prevent the devil from gaining a foothold in our lives. And the final ingredient of unity is called forbearance, which is long-suffering, putting up with something, enduring. It's making an allowance for other people's faults. It's remaining calm while going through a test or a struggle. It's not walking out or running off when things get difficult. It takes a willingness to be long-suffering with each other and to diffuse our own selfish ambition. In verse 3 it says, Make every effort to guard the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. 
So now he starts to move into this whole area of unity. And he talks about a unity of the spirit. But the glue, the cement that holds everything together is the bond of peace. Peace is the cement that holds everything together. The glue that will bring unity. If any of those four things that we've talked about, humility, meekness, patience and forbearance is missing, then cracks start to appear in a fellowship such as ours. The Holy Spirit is the source of our unity. It talks about the unity of the Holy Spirit. And so we're to walk together in the unity of the Holy Spirit. And so Paul is very concerned about our relationships here. Do we guard our unity? Do we really care for each other? Are we patient with each other? Do we yield to each other and bear each other's burdens and difficulties? You know, apart from the Holy Spirit, the answer is no. We can't do those things without the enabling of the Holy Spirit. Because all of those things are really fruit of the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Holy Spirit are love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, patience, self-control. And so as we allow the Holy Spirit to fill our lives and lead our lives, we will find that we can attain those things. But if we're trying to do it just by trying harder, we're never going to get never going to quite get there. So the power of God can only really be released on a unified body. And that's why the enemy will always try to bring disunity to a church. If we are a unified congregation, God can pour his gifts and his fruits onto us. But if we are Disunified, we end up self-destructing because instead of fighting the enemy, we start fighting amongst ourselves. And so the enemy will try and stir up disunity. And one of the main areas where there's disunity in most churches these days is in the area of worship. Because Satan was in charge of worship in heaven before he tried to run a coup and take over from God and got kicked out of heaven. And if we can unify in worship, that is a key step to becoming a unified congregation. And that's why we're aiming for intergenerational worship in this church. I mean, I was brought up with the hymns, and I know them all, a lot of them by, by heart, and I love to sing them. But I appreciate that there's a lot of younger people that don't know the hymns, but they listen to Life FM and they know the current choruses. And so if we can have a mix of both and we can tolerate both and support each other and unify in our worship, that is a key step to us becoming a unified congregation. Verses 4 to 6, There is only one Spirit, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father over all. And we are all called to the same glorious future. 
The Holy Spirit is consistent and reliable. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they exist in perfect harmony. They never argue with each other. Can we all agree that Jesus is Lord? That the head of the church is Christ? That God is good? That God loves everybody? That nothing is impossible to God? That Jesus paid the price for our sin? For all who receive him. Can we agree on the essential doctrines? And then in 1 Corinthians 12 verse 12 it says, The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. We are made up of many parts. The separate parts of our body are useless. If I cut my hand or finger off, that finger would not be able to do anything on its own. And so as a body, it's important that we're fitted and joined together and able to cooperate in a coordinated way. Sometimes we think that unity is all about finding people that are the same as us, that have the same beliefs as us. And so often our best friends are people that have got common interests, it might be a love for the outdoors or gardening, fishing, sport. You may have children of similar ages or grandchildren. Or you may be from a similar background. But God joins completely different individuals to make a whole in his church. The church is a bit like a jigsaw puzzle. Each piece of the jigsaw has its own unique shape. But each piece is cut to fit perfectly with the other pieces of the, of the puzzle so that God's powerful, life-changing picture can be revealed. The picture that we reveal is Jesus. Imagine a jigsaw puzzle with a big picture of Jesus on it. And we're all the pieces. And as we put those pieces together, we show forth the image of Christ. The Holy Spirit orchestrates the way our different talents and abilities fit together. And we can develop our unique gifts, but we can't separate our gifts from the body. We discover and develop our gifts as we fellowship together and we minister with other believers. Gifts are not toys that we play with. They're tools that we build with. Can we put aside our offences and disagreements and come to a unity of the faith? Our common devotion to Jesus Christ is the source of our unity. Our unity is to be visible. We're all part of God's family. So we're not to live our lives in isolation. We're to be joined to the body. It's like taking a coal out of the fire. The coal will go out. Collectively, we can serve God in this place. Since there's only one father, there's only one family. And we're all brothers and sisters. Children in a family may argue and disagree, but they still remain brothers and sisters 
in spite of their disagreement. And so Christ frees us from competing and comparing ourselves with other people. It's interesting, in a tree, no two leaves in a tree are exactly the same. But that same sap flows through each branch of the tree. And so there's a huge variety of gifts that can be practiced within the church. Jesus had all the gifts and has given them to us collectively. None of us has all the gifts, but between us all, we do, so that we're able to continue that work of Christ in this church. So let's just read verses 11 to 14. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers. And in some other chapters, it lists all the gifts of the Spirit that are available to people in God's church to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. God doesn't want a family of babies. If we're all babies and we're crying and whining and whinging, we're not going to achieve a lot, are we? And so God appoints gifted leaders to equip the people to do the, the work of ministry, to help to build up the body of Christ. Just like as parents, we delight to see our children grow up and become mature, successful, responsible adults. I remember when our children were small, we used to measure their height on a door frame. And so, you know, once a year at Christmas time, we'd uh, we'd measure their height and we'd see how high, how much higher they'd grown in the year that had just passed. And God is saying to us, grow up and attain the stature of Jesus Christ. Our maturity is linked to how much like Jesus we are becoming. One day we, we may all be like Jesus. That's the dream, that we all grow to be like him. And um, so Paul, he doesn't want us to be like children who can't make up their minds about things. You know, you can take a, children, a child to a lolly shop and say, look, you can pick um, $2 worth of lollies and oh, I'll have one of those and one of those. Oh, how much have I got left? Oh, no, can I have that instead? And they just can't make up their mind. They're tossed to and fro. And in the church these days, there are teachers that actually manipulate God's word. And, and they will say, they will come out with doctrines that are incorrect, that may be attractive, that may, may be appealing to people, but they are not necessarily the full truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Think of a beautiful piece of music that is played by an orchestra, a symphony orchestra. Think of Jesus Christ as being the head or the conductor of that orchestra. But each instrument 
produces a beautiful melody. And also consider your function here as a member of this fellowship. Are you playing your part properly? You may have gifts, but without love, you're not connecting to the other members of the body. All parts of the body are to be connected to Christ, the head of the body. Child psychologists believe that in a family, the most important thing is for the mother and the father of the children to get on well with each other, to love each other. That's more important than for them to love the children. The love of both of the parents towards each other is more important than the single love of, say, the father to the daughter or the mother to the son. Because when mum and dad argue, the children feel insecure and frightened. And in a similar way, it's important for the world to see that we as believers love and care for each other. And in John 13 verse 35, it says, By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. God is calling us to love each other to care for each other, to help us through our difficulties in life. The visitors who, who come to this church say, look how these Christians love each other. We demonstrate God's love by our relationships and our consideration and care for one another. So, in summary, what I've been trying to get across to you this morning is that God has called each one of us as individuals, but also as a local church. And he wants us to respond to his call with enthusiasm and joy. Our character is to match our call as we embrace a shared future together, as we respect each other's uniqueness and we embrace the unity of Christ in this place. Let's pray. Father God, help us to be completely humble and gentle, patient, bearing with one another in love as we serve you in this place. Lord, may we be known for our love, for our care, for our acceptance. Lord, we thank you for the way we, so many people are serving you in this church, that this church is coming alive and we're reaching out to people in need. Lord, we just pray that each one of us will desire to be changed into the image of Christ and that as we serve you using our gifts in this place, you will grow us in faith, you will grow us in unity and in love. In Jesus' name, amen.